Hey, welcome to season three of the Fearless Women podcast. I'm Janice McDonald, creator, host, and executive producer of the show and global champion for women. Thank you for joining us every week as we bring you inspiring conversations with the unafraid. We're the source for authentic, true stories from remarkable women from around the world. If you love what you hear, tell your friends and share the love with a five-star rating. Sign up for our Stay Fearless newsletter. You'll get the inside scoop on all things fearless, like episode highlights, my personal reflections, and so much more. Subscribe with the link in the show notes and follow us on Instagram at Fearless Women Podcast. Remember to pick up a copy of my beautiful, best-selling book, Fearless Girls with Dreams, Women with Vision, for more inspiring true stories. It's available everywhere. Enjoy the show and stay fearless. Hey, everybody. I'm Janice McDonald. Welcome to the Fearless Women podcast. A big shout out to our listeners from all around the globe, including... Poland, Denmark, USA, UK, Australia, and so many more countries. Love, love, love having you join us. I'm thinking about you and I hope you're doing all right out there. I have an incredible guest to share with you today. She is on a mission to end energy poverty globally. She's designed a modular battery-powered generator. It is her response to the loud, noxious combustion engine generators that currently dominate the market. Her job to end energy poverty globally just got a little easier. Connie Stacey is the founder and president of Growing Greener Innovations. And most recently, this is so exciting, the winner of the 2021 Pitch for the Purse program from the Forum That included a $50,000 prize that she snagged. I'm so excited to welcome you to the show, Connie Stacy. Well, thanks for having me. So we met several years ago. I think it was when I was doing research on women entrepreneurs, but I know again at the BDC bootcamp when I was offering training and it has been so exciting to watch your company grow. Tell us about the journey to design and patent your modular battery powered generator. How did you even discover the need? You know, this is this is unique. You're a woman in tech. Tell us more. Okay. Well, you're going to probably have to cut me off because it's a long story. Uh, <laughs> so you jump in where you need to. You know what? It really started for me. I, I think I always had a drive to own my own business, um, but I never really felt that kind of trigger where I was like, okay, no, this is it. I'm going to go for it. Until my twin boys, I have three kids, uh, the twin boys are older. And after they were born, I was um, walking them one day in a stroller. And anybody who has multiples will tell you everything is about sleep. And I walked by a house being built and uh, there was a diesel generator running. And I thought, if you wait these babies, I am going postal. And uh, I literally, I'm not even joking. That is literally what went through my head. And I kind of sped up and walked by. And thankfully, they didn't wake up. And as I kept walking, I thought, why do we use those horrid things? Like they're terrible on the environment. They're loud. They're stinky. They're expensive to run. Like there's just not a lot of positives about them. And I thought, well, there's got to be a better way. And I had come from IT. My tech background is on the IT side of things primarily. And in every computer server room, no matter where you go, you're going to find what's called a UPS, an uninterrupted power supply. And effectively, it's a tiny little battery system meant to make sure if there's a power outage, you can safely shut down your machines and not lose your data. A pretty simple concept. And of course, they 
do get more complicated for bigger ones. But I thought, well, why couldn't we use some kind of a battery system to replace these portable diesel generators? And uh, the first thing I did was I asked some friends who were, you know, in the trades, uh, house builders, construction, oil and gas kind of stuff. And I said, well, would you consider using a battery option instead of a, a diesel generator? And they said, I would love that idea just for the silence. I mean, forget the cost, mm-hmm. forget everything else, just for the silence. And um, they said, but I can't refill a battery like I can a gas can. I thought, well, that's mm-hmm. legit. <laughs> so I kind of went back to the drawing board. I thought, well, how would you solve that problem? And I thought, well, what if you could just stack them up or swap them in and out? And I asked the same guys the, that question and they said, done. Where, where do I sign up? They didn't ask me how much it was going to cost. They didn't ask you know, what the environmental impact was. Just the silence alone had them utterly compelled. I thought, oh, well, now that's interesting. There's something very unique here. Um, there's a need that's not being filled. So I actually spent, so that was 2013, fall of 2013. And um, I spent a good bit of time over the next pretty much a year kind of thinking on this problem. How do you solve it? Um, what is the technology that's involved? And I kind of have a rule that when I'm working on a goal, I take one action every day. And it might be a small action. It might only be 10 minutes worth of work, but I always do something towards that goal. So over the year, that's what I did. Is I, I spent time reading some articles on battery chemistries. That's a great way to put yourself to sleep, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, and research a little more about uh uh, diesel generators in the North American setting in oil and gas and construction and stuff like that. Um, and then 2014, I incorporated and I started to dive in a little bit deeper with my research. I started tinkering around and ordering lithium cells to to kind of put together in little mini battery systems. And, you know, looking back, it's amazing. I didn't electrocute myself, but hey, there it is. I, I would pretend that I had straight hair, but it was always curly. So it wasn't actually that I electrocuted myself. And then uh, around fall 2015 is where it started to get much more serious. And uh, I hired my first staff and really started to dive in because I said, you know, there's something really unique um, here. And there's a good business, there's a good business opportunity. But what really compelled me to kind of take the leap was when I looked at the global picture. And uh, up to the early parts, I really was looking mostly at um, camping and outdoors, like, you know, replacing those loud diesel generators we all hear for going camping um, and oil and gas construction, you know, people working on buildings and those things puttering away, right? But when I start to look at the global picture, I realized that most people, at least in Canada, and I think this is true of a lot of the more wealthy countries in the world, we get used to a pretty stable grid. I mean, we have our outages, we have our problems, but compared to the rest of the world, we really are uh, kind of blind to what is happening because we we live it pretty good. Uh, And in Canada in particular, we have one of the most robust um, triple redundancy grids and is one of the lowest costs in the world. And by that, I'll give you an example. The, The absolute lowest average for a country is 10 cents a kilowatt hour. Canada is right at 10 slash 11. In Alberta, we're at eight and a half. So, I mean, like we are literally as cheap mm-hmm. as it gets. And in mm-hmm. the prairies in Canada, I mean, we we almost never have outages because we don't have major weather events. We're not coastal. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy, I think, for people here to not realize what the bigger problem was. And let me kind of give you a bit of a picture because these three numbers 
we'll kind of set a big stage for you. One, there is more than a billion people in the world that still have energy tier zero. That's candlelight only, no access to electricity or energy of any other kind. 2.6 billion is the number of people who do not have enough energy to cook in any way other than to burn some kind of biomass. And for these people, it can be literally burning garbage or even feces. This is a huge health problem, by the way. It's um, inhaling cooking smokes like that is actually, I think the World Health Organization has about roughly 2 million deaths a year, which is primarily affecting women um, as the people who do the, the primary cooking in the home. And then you get to half the world's population when you talk about what's called domestic energy poverty. And that's effectively where you might only get, say, electricity two hours of the day, or you have rampant blackouts, like really rampant blackouts. Uh, you might only get low voltage power. Those are things that we don't really see a lot of in North America, for example, but they are literally more than half the world's reality. So the problem is just enormous. And you are on a tear <laughs> to resolve this problem. And it is an enormous problem. And thank you for the context to give us those stats the magnitude, it, it's actually staggering when you think about how many of our sisters around the world are living so differently. Well, and it's actually, um, it disproportionately affects women because uh, women are often the ones who are stuck. I don't want to say stuck, that's the wrong word. Uh, they're often um, the ones in charge of, of doing the cooking and maintaining the home and things like that, which, you know, on top of other types of work, typically. Um, and so they're often the ones who have to deal with that lack of energy. Uh, and it's really interesting. I, you can look and there are multiple studies that will show you that access to energy is perfectly correlated to economic growth. So if you want to end poverty, you literally must end energy poverty to do it. Um, so I see it as kind of a bigger a part of a, a bigger puzzle that we're trying to solve globally, right? If we're going to help people globally, we can't do that without giving them that access. And you've got an amazing solution to do so. And you pitched it in front of an audience of, of almost 2,000 viewers and ultimately won the $50,000 purse at the Pitch for the Purse. Tell us about that experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you a secret. So I've won a few pitches now. I You're very compelling, them. of course, Connie. Like <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear that. You've got the stats. You've got a monster idea. And of course, you're winning. Yeah. You know what? I, I hate doing them. That's the secret. I actually hate doing them. And I'll tell you why. I love talking to people. I absolutely love talking to people. I have no problem with presenting. I hate having a clock. I hate <laughs> having that little timer ticking down. It makes me so uncomfortable um, and feels so rushed. And I personally, I'm a newfie by birth. I feel like you can't tell me three minutes. I barely can say hello <laughs> in three minutes. So I always have a little bit of a trouble with, with that timer counting down. But you know what, I'm, I think we're quite fortunate on, on, on top of the fact that, you know what, I am pretty, pretty comfortable doing it despite my dislike of it. Uh, but we also have a really compelling business case. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, and that's not to say, obviously, that other people don't have compelling business cases, but there's a big emotional tie. People kind of get it like, wow, this could have a pretty big impact. And when you hit them with ideas like, um, you know, I think the very last thing I ended up saying was on a question I they asked me, why you, why now? And I said, well, 
I believe that what we have built is truly the cell phone of power. And like the cell phone brought communication to every corner of the world, we're going to bring energy. And that kind of thing, like when you hit somebody with that level of impact, it's it's mm-hmm. pretty compelling. I actually got shivers when you said it. <laughs> it is. It is very compelling. And of course, with your more than 20 years experience in tech and business, you saw the monster idea, but now you actually see the the, the global relevance and the impact that it can have, it is absolutely stunning. So what's happening now? Kind of give us an update on how things are going at, gr- at Growing Greener Innovations. Well, I'll tell you, after um, after winning the, the pitch, I, I came in the next morning, I think it was, and I looked at my inbox and I had 176 unopened emails. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. So that's a wonderful problem to have, but mm-hmm. I will say that we've been extremely busy. Uh, yeah. But you know, one of the things that's kind of unique with this is now we're moving into the later stages of commercialization now. So we're, we had kind of our first product was not our patented technology. It was just a small solar generator. And I shouldn't say just because I actually think it's probably the best one on the market, uh, but it's an area where there are other competitors. Uh, and we we did that so that we could kind of get some revenue in the door. You know, it's not a big moneymaker for us because, quite frankly, there are other companies out there with much bigger marketing budgets than mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but now that we're kind of getting into the later stages of commercializing our actual patented tag, um, one of the things that we really learned with all of these pitches and and different presentations we did was kind of the language to explain it to people. I mean, inside of our office, we talk very tech. But when I'm talking to most people, even if they're from a tech industry, if they don't specifically understand batteries, then a lot of what I have to say just really doesn't resonate. So one of the things we had to learn was how to explain it in terms of what a user could understand. Uh, And it's actually surprisingly a more difficult process than you think. Um, You know, at first, I remember chatting with people, you know, the first couple of years. And one day I, I hit on it when I was talking with someone and said, well, it's like Lego. You know, you just snap them together and they really got that idea. And I thought, okay, Lego, people get the idea Lego. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. was probably 2015, maybe early 2016. Um, And then more recently, as we kind of learned that lingo, what we really found resonated with people was, and I'm going to explain just a tiny bit about the industry to give you some context here. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about battery systems and batteries are really integral to any kind of renewable because solar, wind, uh, geothermal, doesn't matter. They're all variable. Uh, so in order to have them as your electricity source, you have to be able to store the energy so that when the sun's down, you mm-hmm. still have energy for your home. Uh, yep. Pretty obvious, right? Yeah. Uh, but one of the biggest problems is actually the installed cost. So the World Bank put out a um, report right at the very, I think it was December 2018, on the average installed cost per kilowatt hour in emerging markets. So when we're talking that global energy poverty and mm-hmm. and going to say sub-Saharan Africa where there's a huge need, mm-hmm. the average installed cost was $2,100 per kilowatt hour. Wow. And let me give you an idea. A kilowatt hour is the size of the lead acid battery you have in your standard combustion car. Wow. Now think about that. That is a battery you can go to Walmart and buy for like an AGM one, even for three or $400. And yet it costs $2,100 USD installed. So we know just from that number alone, 
that the vast bulk of the cost actually comes from the install. And it's because these are complicated systems. So you need engineers and electricians pretty much along every step of the way. And every time you do a system, it's a new set of instructions, if you will. It's the engineers have to begin again and design that system. They might have familiarity with it, um, but there's always the engineer and electrician. But that changed with what we did. Effectively, what we did is we put the engineer and the electrician in the box. And that's what we found really kind of resonated with people. We said, well, all those things that somebody does, those are engineers who put their heads together and say, okay, this is how all the electricity has to flow and it has to be safe so things can't catch on fire mm -hmm. uh, and the batteries have to be this big to matter that much electricity and et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, we took all of that and we put it inside the battery. So we made the battery smart or intelligent so that it can respond without someone having to be in between. Well, that changes everything, quite frankly, is you can literally stack our batteries to the sky. There is no limit. It is infinitely scalable. So if you want to power one person going camping, no problem. If you want to power a million people in a refugee camp, no problem. Still no technician is required. It's remarkable, Connie. It's just, it's so moving. I Well, you know, I've been a fan for a long time. So <laughs> I just love hearing what you're doing. How about this? What's your advice to your younger self? I'm sure you have some. <laughs> to my younger self? Mm -hmm. Oh, I could probably think of a few things for sure. Um, but I would honestly say that from where I was when I was younger, I would say, you'll get through it. Mm. I, I really, I'd like, you know, I'm openly gay. I don't ever hide that. I make sure I'm very open because I think it's important to be mm -hmm. leaving a path for people uh, to follow. And I've taken a lot of blanking over the years. I mean, yeah. when I was little, I got beat up a lot. When I was a teenager, it was more vocal. It was more verbal. And I'll, for the sake of tender ears, not use some of the things that mm. used to be yelled at me. But let's, let's wrap it up to say that uh, my first pronoun was it. Uh, for a long, long oh time. Oh my God. It was really, it was horrible for a long time. Uh, and it wasn't until I got you know, probably into my mid twenties, I um, I started playing rugby. Don't ask. I got dared into it and then discovered I absolutely love it. And when I was, I would play for an all women's rugby club and I've never been in a more supportive environment. They really were the most incredible group of women I have ever met ever. And I thought, Oh, well, I'm perfectly accepted for who I am, no matter what I do, no matter how good I am or not good I am on the rugby field, I was just Connie. And so I started to gain a lot of confidence at that point in my life and started to feel like, hey, I'm okay. Uh, and then somewhere along the journey, I want to say, you know, after I was married, after I started the company, I, I still was very nervous. I definitely had a lot of that imposter syndrome for the first little bit. And then I suddenly I realized, you know what, I, I remember looking kind of around the various boardrooms and conference rooms I'd be in and talking with very intelligent people who led really large companies. And I thought, these guys don't know anything I don't know. They're not mm. more intelligent than me. And I started to realize there's no reason for me to feel inferior because I'm not. And I really, I think I, I earned that over a long, long period of time. Um, but, I, you know, if I were to look back at that kid, I'd say you will get through it. You will. Yeah, but wow, uh, not an easy time. No. So what's something you've done once that you wouldn't do again? 
Oh, well, you know, I can think of a few of those and don't even get me started on the rugby part of that because you know, that could be a long conversation oh, that's my very goodness. embarrassing. Uh, no, you know what? I'd say probably the the thing that I learned and it, it, I've had it, I've done this a couple of times, but I've learned my lesson. Don't override your gut. You know, everybody says it's all about numbers and logic and those things should help inform your decision. But if in your gut, you feel like something's not right, there's something going in your brain that's saying there's a piece not fitting. And I, I let other people tell me the way to do something on a couple of occasions and they turned out terribly. And I overrode my gut. I said, no, 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 these guys must know more than me. And that was a mistake. If, you're, if your gut is telling you something strongly that isn't right, there's a reason. Stop and take the time to figure out why. Yeah, isn't that so powerful? Because we do need to trust ourselves. We have the answers and you're just giving us just oodles of practical wisdom. It's incredible. What about the role of fear, Connie, if any, in your life? <laughs> well, I definitely have fear. Um, but I, And I think actually some level of fear is a good thing because it means you care, right? It means that mm. the, what you're working on has value. So losing it or not succeeding would be bad. Like it, it's fearful, right? Uh, yeah. So I think some level of fear is a good thing. Um, means you're going in the right direction in my mind. I think for me, it's about balancing. Like, and I had actually an interesting conversation yesterday with our amazing uh, VP of operations. And actually, Janice, I'm going to brag for one second. Please. This was, this was a bit serendipitous, but we managed to put together an all-female executive in deep tech manufacturing. This is unheard of. Um, so I was until now. Until <laughs> now, yeah, I was speaking. We we stole the city of Edmonton's director of engineering, this incredible woman named Ong Jung, um, and when she came over because she loved the work we were doing, uh, and she's utterly brilliant. We are so thrilled to have her. And yesterday we were talking a little bit and. You know what? I just completely lost my train of thought when I was thinking about how amazing on Jim is. How silly is that? <laughs> you know what? Isn't that the best kind of cheerleading moment? It's like, that's all I want to talk about. This remarkable yeah, person and my all women deep knowledge based dream team that you put together. I you know, love it. It's so easy. Like, I honestly, I am so blessed. We had a strategic meeting with the exec yesterday and um, you know, as soon as I started thinking about that, that moment in yesterday in our talks, it just, it took me to that space. And I have to tell you, it is so, so amazing. And I, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, but I've never until now been in a situation where the leadership was all female. And unlike in a lot of circumstances, there was no, you know, calming down egos. There's no stepping gently around this or that. Mm. There's no dumb questions. Nobody is attacking each other. It was the most productive, healthy environment for discussion that I've ever sat in. Uh, and obviously, the people, the individuals are a big part of that. But, you know, I think that we also do socialize women in a lot of ways to be collaborators. So, I mean, for me, it is just, it's an absolute joy to work with these women. Well, and I will take the moment and give you credit as the leader. You are setting a beautiful tone yourself, Connie. Very inclusive, very welcoming. And uh, you're right. I, I think the role of partnerships and collaboration can be so exciting when women come together. And especially with a purpose like you have, 
to really change the world. It's it's amazing. So you were talking about the role of fear in your life. Oh, and give us a a further (laughs) sense if, you know, you said how, yes, it means something's important. Absolutely. Um, Yes. You know what? Sorry, thank you for bringing my mind back. That that is what I was talking to Anjum about, or something related. And it was just, I mean, everybody deals with trolls on the internet and mm-hmm. and various forms of antagonism, if you will. And actually, yeah. yesterday morning, I out of the blue got a handwritten letter from an older gentleman in Ontario urging me to repent my sinful ways and return to the Lord. Uh, And, you know, a printout on the things I needed to do in order to do so. Apparently not overly fond of me being a gay woman. And I kind of chuckled because it really wasn't done in a, uh, it wasn't a hurtful letter. I mean, obviously I don't agree with his point of view, but uh, it was certainly not the worst I've received. But in my conversation with Anjum that day, as we were talking about, you know, kind of how we deal with those criticisms and the fear of like how you're seen, how you're perceived, I mean, you know, I don't want someone to mistakenly think of me, um, I don't know, uh, we do contracts and we have a current contract with the Canadian military. I don't endorse violence. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I wouldn't want somebody to think that. We, we work with them because I think it's important that they reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and we help work with that. But you can see how very easily someone would get the wrong idea. And so that idea, that fear of how someone's going to perceive you uh, without having context is something, you know, that sits with me all the time. I'm actually, Uh, Connie, I'm really surprised to hear you say that. Because I would have thought, given what you went through as a kid, that you just wouldn't care anymore, would people think? Mostly I don't. But Mm -hmm. if it's to do with with my... Personal goals, because I mean, for me, I am first and foremost a humanitarian and second environmentalist. Uh, and I always do delineate this because as important as environment is, I will always put a person first and foremost. So when if there's things that attack or feel like they're criticizing my beliefs when it comes to stuff like that, that got it, you know, um. I would favor money over um, the protection of people. I would never do that. I would never do that. So there are still things that kind of stick with me. Yeah. But my comment to Anjum about it was basically, you know, if one person is making a comment to say, oh, well, you know, how can they work with a group like Canadian military, which I disagree quite quite a bit about, because I think it is incredibly important to help all groups lower their GHG. And there's a lot of good work that our Canadian military do, quite frankly. But um, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Especially, I'm not sure if everybody's aware, but our Canadian special forces, in particular, are often the ones who are sent to aid in international disasters. They do a lot of really good work. But you know, I said, Don Jim, honestly, I can't pause to worry about one or two petty-minded people. I have a bigger job, and I won't waste my effort on it. So, you know, it's there and I'm aware of it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it gets under my skin, but I always kind of take a breath and say, you know what, it is just, it's too small to worry about. I have a big job to do. Well, I'm grateful and we're all grateful, Connie, that you are so focused on your incredibly important job. And I'm sorry to hear that these kind of experiences continue to happen, but you remain true and <laughs> and forward and you continue to inspire it's uh it's amazing tell me this 
you know, as we talk about representation, particularly in tech and seeing people that look like us and think like us, how important is that for you? And, um, you know, you've referenced your, your dream team, your all women dream team. Tell us more about that. It's enormously important and understand that, I mean, probably I think half our team are men. It happens by chance that our executive is all women, but we, we very much have lots of men. In fact, we're 50% persons of color, 50% women, I think it is, and mm-hmm. 20% LGBT. So we really get, we're covering the gamut. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're but you're inclusive, but you're inclusive <laughs> with intention, right? It's yes. just didn't magically happen. I mean, you're, you're looking for the best and the brightest, but you're very inclusive in what actually you consider. Yeah, absolutely. And I do Mm -hmm. think it is one of the most important things we do. And as a CEO of this company, as the the president and founder, I think it's really important part of my job. Our job as a team is to create the product and to bring it to people around the world so that we can have that global impact. But as the person who's often the voice or the face of this company, I think it's equally important for me to be really visible in terms of being a woman in a deep tech space where it's pretty much all men for being openly gay in, you know, a place where, quite frankly, I rarely, rarely run into other successful women who are openly gay. I mean, there are, they are out there, Mm -hmm. um, but often we have to hide because people don't want to see it. When I traveled, um, one of the things with trying to uh, tackle such a big problem is, you know, I travel to a lot of places in the world where I encounter troubles as related to A, being a woman or B, being gay or both. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't recognize, but there are still 14 countries in the world where there are the death penalty for being gay and 70 somewhere it's still legal. So the, I've gone to countries where, like, if somebody really wanted to give me a hard time, they could have me arrested. You know, I haven't gone to any of the countries yet um, where they still have the death penalty, but that's mm-hmm. a real thing that I have to deal with. I, in fact, even had a circumstance where um, we had a consultant doing some work for us in Indonesia, and uh, we need to let him go. He really turned out to not be quite as quite the person we thought he was, and he wasn't representing us well. So I said to one of my advisors, I think I'm going to go down there. I really want to meet with our contacts there so we don't lose those relationships. I'm going to collect the equipment and, you know, talk to him, let him go. And my advisor said, Connie, you can't go. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, well, if this guy really wants to mess with you. He can get you arrested. And that's that's a, a really interesting dilemma that, quite frankly, your, pardon the expression, pale, stale male doesn't face. Right. I mean, there are things that women face when we deal, especially internationally, that you know, our male counterparts just don't face. So if we're going to change anything, we have to have people that are willing to set a path to, to be visible. And honestly, I think, you know, I'm not sure I'd say it was exactly a good thing, um, but uh, all of my experiences of being younger really gave me a thick skin. And you know what? I'm not afraid. I know how to be careful, of course, but I'm going to stand up for what I think is right. And you can say what you want. I'm not likely to blink. I'm a big Brene Brown fan. Um, yes. and, uh, it's it's that if you're not in the arena, your opinion doesn't matter to me. Right. I'm so with you. Yeah. So, so with you. Yeah, it's so powerful that that whole perspective of who we listen to and do they have the actual experience and perspective to be able to 
weigh in with a, a valuable opinion. You want, so, and you know, sorry, mm-hmm. I was gonna, just going to say that actually when I discovered Brene Brown, I, I was so floored because my favorite quote of all time is actually that Teddy Roosevelt quote. Yes. When she was talking, but I was like, oh, I have to listen to this woman because clearly we are, we are one mind. <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, she's got a, Great stuff. And that, that quote stands the test of time. Absolutely. So final question, Connie, what's your dream for the world? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not sure it's something that happens overnight, but I do think we have the capacity for equality. I think we're long, long ways from it. I think we, you know, have come a long ways in terms of parts of the world where, you know, in Canada, in most of the developed countries, I can't speak to, of course, countries I haven't been in, but overt sexism, for example, is is not something you see a lot of. Um, and that that's a great thing because it used to not be the case. But now what we have is almost a more difficult problem, and that's the unintentional bias. And that's something that, you know, so many times I've seen someone who is so deeply supportive, but doesn't understand that the they have unconscious bias where they use language or do things or make assumptions that are actually prohibitive to a woman in business. And I'll use a little example here, but you know, I was chatting with um, uh, an advisor, a tech advisor from one of the groups, and, and there were four of us talking, two advisors and two entrepreneurs. The other three were all men. I, you know, in honesty, was probably the most technically Uh, trained, I had the most education in technology and the most experienced of the group. And as we were talking, they were talking to the one fellow and they're, oh, you know, and how's this go with RFID and talking in tech and using all sorts of deep tech words, which no problem. And then they turned to me and the gentleman said, now, Missy, have you X, Y, Z? Oh boy. And I thought, okay, guys, that's not appropriate because if anybody was watching us, you just made me out to be the most junior person in this conversation when in fact, actually, I'm the most senior in terms of expertise and knowledge. But those kind of subtle things, and these were people who absolutely are huge supporters of ours, but those kind of subtle things have a big global effect when there's billions of people doing it. Uh, So the problem we are facing now is an interesting one because it's a challenge um, that we haven't solved yet, but it comes in being conscious. Uh, It comes in making an effort. Uh, And I think, I think we can, I think we can. And I think every day we have more and more people step up and do the right thing. And it's a ripple effect. I think we'll get there someday. Well, uh, this whole conversation is exactly proof of why I am such a fangirl of you, Connie Stacy. You are on this incredible mission to end energy poverty globally. I know you're going to do it. You've been listening to Connie Stacy. She's the founder and president of Growing Greener Innovations. Give us the website, Connie, because people are going to want to look up and learn more about you. Give us uh, where they can turn to. Sure. It's grengin.com. So G-R engine. So green engine is where we came up with the name of our product. So grengin.com. Perfect. And will you promise to come back and give us some updates on how you're doing on this monster project that you are taking on to make the world a better place for all of us? For you, Janice, you can absolutely count on it. (laughs) Thank you again, Connie. Anytime. Thanks for listening. 
We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, BDC, Lockheed Martin, and Export Development Canada. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.